Welcome to Passion to Poison, the podcast that explores life's transitions. I'm Russ Tanner, and I'm here with my co-host, Mac Wilson. Today on the podcast, we have the privilege of talking to Sitara Atai. Sitara is an Afghan-born American actress that grew up in the Netherlands. She's fluent in eight languages, including Dari, Farsi, Dutch, German, Hindi, Urdu, Pashto, French, and English. She's won several Dutch dance championships and talent shows as a choreographer, and she's choreographed several commercials, music videos, and Bollywood movie songs. She's modeled for a variety of fashion brands and won beauty pageants in both the Netherlands and Turkey. She's also on popular TV shows like Homeland, True Blood, The X-Files, and Stumptown. Despite all of her success, it hasn't been an easy road. We're happy to have Sitar on the podcast to talk about the challenges she's faced along the way and how she was able to overcome those challenges and effectively transition to different stages of her life. So with that said, Sitara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here on the show. So why don't you tell us, you've lived in so many different places, you speak all these different languages, maybe start from your childhood and just kind of lead us down that path to where you are right now. Yes, I have. It's been quite an interesting journey. Um, and, and coming back to what you just uh, said about your podcast, Transitions of Life, it has been one <laughs> transitional journey um, because the transitions were ongoing one after the other. But, um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. I have learned so much by traveling, by living in different countries, because you learn about different cultures, different lifestyles, different climates, different geographical landscapes. Um, you just, your idea of life, our world, the planet, it changes so tremendously because you go from a narrow-minded idea of living somewhere and growing up there to constantly changing and seeing new places, adapting and adjusting to new cultures. And it only adds to who you are as a person and you grow from it. So for me, it started, of course, in Afghanistan, where I was born in Kabul. I had a beautiful youth there. Um, this is a time where Afghanistan was peaceful. It was booming and blooming. It was a very modern society. Uh, there was, it was pretty much like you know life here, not much different. Um, until things unfortunately took a turn and my um, dad decided that it was not safe anymore, which had happened pretty much a week or two after the school that I went to, primary school was about 10 minutes um, walking distance from where we lived. It was uh, bombed. So at that point, my dad realized that, okay, this is beyond safe for us, so we need to move. Um, and then we moved, but that first move for me was exciting <laughs> because we moved from Afghanistan to India. And India for me was the country of Bollywood movies, dancing, singing, colors, um, and then even the food, I was all infatuated by the whole idea that I'm going to go inside the movie land. 
Um, and it pretty much the experience was like that. It was a wonderful time in India. We had um, lifestyle didn't change much, but the location did and the culture did, but it was still very close to Afghan culture. We grew up with Bollywood movies, so we were familiar. And ironically enough, in no time, I started speaking Hindi because I was used to listening to the movies so that the language was familiar. Um, but the schools we went to were all English schools. English spoken, written, um, everything was in English. So that was very helpful. And then came a time where we were supposed to be in India temporarily and go back to Afghanistan when things will be better or more peaceful or safe. But unfortunately, that never happened. So we stayed and then the decision was like, okay, now we are running out of money. There is no going back. What do we do next? And pretty much all our friends and family who were in India, they were uh, moving out of the country into either European countries, Australia or the United States to seek asylum or migrate there for work or a variety of reasons. And that's what my father decided as well. So then came... That's when the the biggest transition as a child started for me was the journey outside of India. Because then we went through Thailand and Nepal, six months of pretty much being smuggled from one country to another to finally get to the promised land, not America, but the Netherlands. <laughs> I call it the, the lowlands out of the water. Because Holland is literally out of the water. So you were smuggled? You guys had to escape then, basically? Yes, or? yes because um, it's, it's, you're not... Um, the, the whole process back then, from what I remember as a kid, it wasn't the way it is now. There was uh, immigration processes and things are different in the U.S., but Europe seemed to be the best idea for, you know, a good future for your children, where education's good, there is um, acceptance of um, immigrants and uh, refugees, depending on what the situation was. But my dad's political situation caused for it that we could not go back to Afghanistan from there, seek asylum. He, he It was just too dangerous. He was not going to be able to survive so the only way out was to be smuggled out and that my friends is no fun ever how did that work what what, what did you have to do to get out so uh, i mean i was a kid i don't remember much of it but from what i understand now as an adult after having talked to my parents uh, about okay what was that what does it mean um you basically talk to the smuggler and you come to an agreement for a certain amount and certain number of people and the location you want to go to. How it happens, what they all do is completely, you're kind of like, you put a blindfold on, you are handed paperwork that you're supposed to use and your paperwork official, everything is taken from you. So from that point on, you almost... Uh, if you will have a different identity that you take on and you have to go by that and you have to literally follow every step that the smugglers are telling you to do. Um, and for me, all I remember as a kid was that um, the f we were supposed to be in Thailand for a week. We ended up in Thailand for six months. And that was three months of, you know, trying to wrap 
I guess for my parents, wrap their heads around what was going on and three months of pretty much hell in Bangkok, Thailand. But, you know, as a kid, you do know something's up when you see your parents who've always been just strong and going through life in control to just being out of control, not knowing what's going to happen the next day. It, it was a very difficult time. It was a very difficult time. I am working on my book, which I will delve more deeper into that story, but I have not ever really touched upon what happened in Thailand. It was one difficult experience, challenging experience. Do you have siblings? Were, were you an only child or were you with more no. family? Yes, we were. So I'm the eldest and I have two younger brothers. Um, one is three years younger, the other is four years younger. So uh, that was also not easy to have. I mean, I cannot even imagine what my parents went through having three young kids with them. Uh, but I do remember scenarios of like us as kids, you know, trying to uh, being excited that we're going to go on the plane. And then every single time we see the plane leaving and everybody hops on except for us. Can't get to that plane. And one of my brothers, I remember him once crying. Mom, I want to go on the plane. Why can't we get on? But it was just a very difficult time. Well, I think for us, you know, I speak for myself. Sometimes just getting my own kids to Disneyland seems like an amazing challenge. I can't even <laughs> imagine going across the world to a whole different country being smuggled. I mean, that's just, I can't even comprehend what that would be like, how difficult that would be for your parents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's um, the one thing that sometimes people oversee is nobody chooses to become a an immigrant or especially a refugee. No one wants to leave their home base, their comfort zone out of sheer free will um, especially those who were well off, you know, like my um, family was very well off. I had like the life of a princess, I always say. I just had like the most magical youth possible. Um, but it's when you are, it is for safety and for survival reasons that people have to do that. But I am always, I always tell my parents how grateful I am to them because even once we settled in the Netherlands, they would never travel without us. That was just not a concept. You go somewhere, you take your kids with you. And thanks to that, we got to see a lot of the world and we traveled a lot as, as kids. And it was just, I don't know, they, they just did it. And I'm like, wow, it's hats off. I, I wouldn't know how to do that now because we're, I don't know, we're so set in our ways now, but they, they did it. Life is different. I, I feel every so many years, the whole world changes so drastically in my experience. Um, the life that they lived, uh, my parents, what they went through is so different than the life I'm living today. And mm, the next generation after me, my kids probably will be living a completely different life too, which is evident in every society and every culture and everybody goes through it. In a way, the, the blessing of being able to distinguish it very easily because we lived in so many different countries. Because when you go from the East to the West, which is literally what happened, Afghanistan, India, Thailand, and even Kathmandu, Nepal, for a little bit, to then transitioning to Europe, uh, the Netherlands, well, you kind of know that it's going to be different. You don't know how different, but boy, oh boy. Now, that is the real transition that happened in my life. 
going to Europe from Asia. Yeah, tell us about that. That's That's got to be pretty dramatic. Dramatic is a good word to describe it, actually. Uh, dramatic, it's life-changing, mind-altering, absolutely a crazy experience because... Um, the good thing is because we went in, uh, to the Netherlands, in the Netherlands, the, the beginning was um, they have a very particular process in place for integration into Dutch society. So it doesn't happen that, you know, you go to the Netherlands, you jump in. It happens step by step. So the first step is you are received in what's called a receiving center where um, immigrants, refugees are all received in that center. And um, for about a month or so, you start immediately, you start uh, going to school and learning the language as adults or as kids, you go to the school that is inside those receiving centers. Then um, about a month into it, they determine your what they call status. So based on your case, they interview you the parents then, um, they're interviewed um, and they're determined what their status is, basically whether if they're going to immediately get what we know here in the U.S. as uh, a green card, uh, permanent residency. Um, citizenship is not immediate um, in, in the Netherlands for sure. But um, so basically that determines where you go from the receiving centers. Then the next step is you go to um, the Asylzoeker centrums, those are the asylum seeker centers. There are tons of them in the Netherlands and they're each completely different. Every city has its own way of doing it. But where we landed was actually a very good place. I guess they, during the interview, my parents were asked, what kind of, a, what do you really want? What are you seeking after all the troubles you've gone through? And because of the difficulties my parents had gone through, they said, we just want some peace and quiet. And that's kind of what we got. The center we ended up in was a bungalow park where people would go on like camping um, with caravans, um, mobile homes uh, or bungalows. And um, there was not a lot, but about 20 to 30 families um, of refugees and asylum seekers who um, were staying in one portion of the park and the other was just for holidays for people coming to um, for on vacation or holidays there. So there your process kind of continues, your case work continues and then the kids go to school, you get more than just language training, you actually have subjects and it's so amazing how as kids we are so absorbent to a new language because I remember in no time I was speaking Dutch <laughs> my school books everything was in Dutch um, because I soon realized that English is not gonna work too well in the Netherlands I went to my teacher and I asked him I said is everybody speaking Dutch all the other kids he's like yep I was like "Ooh, alarm went off like I gotta catch up <laughs> how old were you when all this was happening um I was 11 when we arrived 11. in the Netherlands. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So as an 11-year-old, I realized, okay, hop on to the Dutch bandwagon and learn Dutch ASAP. Um, so then we were in that um, center for about two years. 
those two years were still very manageable because the other families were from all around the world, from Africa, from Iran, from uh, Bangladesh, from Armenia, uh, Afghanistan. And those are some of the countries I remember. But it was almost like we were a small little family because there were only 20, 30 families. Everybody knew each other. Whenever there was any occasion to celebrate Eastern or Western, we would do it together. And we had all kinds of integration programs that you participate in to learn the new ways, the Dutch ways. And the good thing about that center was because it was a holiday park, um, there was a swimming area where, you know, you just go and have a good time during the summer. So I quickly learned to communicate, play with Dutch kids without having to do it in a more like as a process. It was just a natural form of Oh, understanding and seeing uh, kids that perhaps look differently, different from myself. Um, and uh, it, it just, it was a, it was a wonderful time to slowly integrate into Dutch society. After that, we were sent to the next phase of the process. Our status at that point was uh, permanent residency. So now we were also allowed to work and, we were sent to a different city where there were no Afghans or barely any other foreigners. And we were pretty much the ones sticking out, if you will. <laughs> Dark hair family from Afghanistan, slightly different lifestyle, not used to what everybody else is doing. That's when, for me personally, the challenges really started. Because when you're an outsider, when you're the other, when you're the... Uh, what's the beautiful name that is used in Shakespeare's Othello when you are the, not alien necessarily, but pretty close to that. Then then you realize that that's when it hits you. And for us, it was all simultaneously for my father in his own way, my mother in her own way, for me, for my brothers. So that's when the true transition of being a Afghan to becoming a Dutch Afghan or Afghan Dutch started for me. Kids can be ruthless no matter where they are. Kids are kids. I mean, did they were did they accept you or did you feel isolated? Were they mean to you? Like how did that what happened there? So, you know, memory is a funny thing, but I can only go based on my memory of what I experienced at that time. I definitely did not feel immediately accepted. Uh, I spoke Dutch back then, obviously, with an accent. And they had, it was a small little village that we ended up in. So everybody knew everybody. All the kids had grown up together, gone to the same school. Um, all the parents kind of knew of each other. Um, it was a very small community. So coming, going to that particular school in that village as a newbie, as a new person, I certainly didn't feel accepted in the beginning, but um, it, it's funny how things work out because the one thing that I always had, which helped me was my art in English. Because English is a mandatory uh, subject in Dutch schools. Every Wednesday we had English class. And there, of course, whenever there was a question, whenever there was a test or anything, I was way above and beyond everybody else. I was really good. 
I kind of found comfort in that, that, okay, there's this one thing that I am good at, that I am better than um, everybody else in class. And the other thing was talent shows, any kind of artistic approach, I would always participate. I would participate with an Afghan routine, dance routine, an Indian dance routine. Nobody had a clue what I was doing, but I did it anyway. Or even as an announcer, I would participate in English, but I would do it. (laughs) Half the parents who would come to these events didn't even speak English, but hey, I still did it. Now, as for the kids being ruthless, yes, there was that. It wasn't, um, it's very funny how it's not very um, aggressive necessarily. It's it, it's there in the undertones. It's there in the on the playground. All the kids playing this game where they all know each other and everybody has their set roles, and you're not included. You're just standing on the side looking on. And but the good thing is there are always the few kind kids that try to reach a helping hand because either they have something um, or or they've been through it themselves. Or I remember one of my friends, she had, uh, she would stutter, which I didn't even know in the beginning, but she would always reach a a helping hand, like, oh, come play with me or come play with us. And there was another girl, she was just just kind-hearted, kind soul, uh, who would always try. They even tried to come and play with me at uh, our place one time. And then my wonderful, amazing Afghan mother had a whole tea set ready for them. And they were so like, okay, what are we doing here? Is this a tea party? I thought we were just going to play. It was was interesting. So it was like off and on. But discrimination, it's there. You know, kids are kids. You do get to hear like, hmm, you, uh, you talk funny or you guys at your place, the the decor of your house is slightly different. Like we're not used to this and that. And you're like, yeah, you just deal with it. You just, it hurts. And you internally try to process what's happening. And then I was learning really fast and real quick. Cause when I would go to my friends' uh, places to play and I would see how they're living, I would immediately come home and make the changes necessary to be part of society, to be like everybody else and to not stand out. Um, and my parents were trying to catch up, but obviously that for them, the process was more slow. One of my younger brothers, he, because he was the youngest, he integrated really fast. He was almost like a popular little kiddo in no time. My middle brother, a little more difficult. Um, he had a little more difficulty being accepted in the beginning. Um, so yeah, each of us had our own path. Each of us were going through the transitions bit by bit, ebb and flow, um, difficult, challenging times, learning. I mean, from the Christmas celebrations, I had no clue what I was supposed to do. I was just going along and learning. (laughs) Like, okay, what is Christmas? Oh, and then of course, the first question was, why do you guys don't have a Christmas tree at home? Because everyone in the Netherlands, especially especially where we lived, every single house you see through the windows, there is a Christmas tree. There is Christmas decorations. You see all of that. Um, so, yep, yeah, year number two, we had a Christmas tree up. 
because my parents, <laughs> they're like, yeah, why not? We see the difficulties putting our children in. And even according to the Islamic religion, Jesus Christ is one of the prophets, not the main, but one of the prophets. So it's celebration of the prophet's birthday. Why not? Um, so this, there's so many things. But again, I cannot say the whole experience was terrible because there were always the, the I call them the helping angels, um, the, the, the neighbors who were kind, who would come or the, the priests from the church. We ended up becoming really good friends, family friends with them almost every Christmas or St. Nicholas's uh, birthday. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. St. Nicholas. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Santa, yes. exactly. So it became Santa in the West thanks to Coca-Cola. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it's actually St. Nicholas, who is a saint from Turkey, who would come on a ship to Europe and bring gifts for kids. Um, so, you know, you learn what, what that is and you adapt and adjust and you participate. And it's so funny how in no time there was no celebration of all the Afghan events because there were no Afghans to celebrate it with. And my parents tried, like, the um, celebration after the month of Ramadan. But in no time, we were celebrating just Christmas and St. Nicholas. And, yeah, sometimes we wouldn't even realize, oh, Ramadan came and left. And there was no celebration after because, yeah, that's just, that's just the transition you're going through. But the great thing about the Netherlands I have to emphasize is, wow, it's still like, I'm so, so grateful. The lifestyle is so healthy. You go everywhere on your bicycle. The milk you get is almost from the farm next door. You get fresh milk, you come home, you boil it, and you put it in the fridge. The cheese is out of this world. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very healthy lifestyle, maybe because it's also cold. Um, the, the climate is different, So, and you do have four seasons. As a kid, I just felt very, very healthy. Uh, you're learning all these skills like skating, ice skating, because it would get so cold and it's snowing and there's ice. And, you know, so that there were a lot of good things, too. Um, I, I hear now from the new stream of refugees that are coming to Europe. Things have changed dramatically. There are more refugees each country. So in each country, maybe the process is now difficult and People were once a little more tolerant. Um, that has changed. But in my experience back then, while going through the difficult, challenging times, there were also a lot of good times, a lot of people who were, um, you know, very accepting, a lot of uh, Christians that were helpful and just were like, you know, um, be kind to your fellow human beings. What can we do to help? To the point that, we, um, God bless her soul, she passed away now. My mom had a very friendly lady who became what we called our Dutch grandma. She was like a grandmother to us. Her husband was a grandfather. All her kids and grandkids became our family. Um, we had other friends that we became really close with. And then the kids we were playing with, of course, then slowly the parents uh, go to each other's homes for dinners and lunches and you know, it, it, it all became, after the most difficult parts, you, you, once you settle, then the good stuff started happening. And you feel not only accepted, but you feel part of the community. You feel part of that society. Um, 
which I'm really hoping will be the case for the new stream of refugees coming for now to the United States. So as I'm, uh, as I was reading through your biography and your history, um, at, at what age did dance and theater, you've talked a little bit about it, but talk about that, uh, um, that, that sounds like that was something that really helped you become part of the part of the community and then helped you um, move move on past your uh, uh, past the Netherlands um, you know the I, I'm really again blessed um, I used to say lucky but I choose to say blessed now <laughs> um, that I grew up in a household in Afghanistan that, had a lot of entertainment going on all the time. My dad, along with his brothers, owned an electronics store, but on the side, they always they also had the business of videography and renting out TV, VCRs, and movies. So there was constantly music in the house. There was always recordings going on. And at our parties, all the cousins would have like a dance-off, and whoever danced best or performed the best would be awarded something. I was always one of the best. <laughs> So that whole conditioning was in me, I guess. And I believe you're born an artist. You either are or you're not. Some some can learn uh, artistry, of course, depending on whatever the art of your choice is. But I'm definitely one of those who was born with it and blessed enough to be in a household where it was so evident. And then moving to India, the thing in India is um, dancing is part of the curriculum for girls. There's also cricket, um, which boys were more into that. But there was, I don't know what boys would do during dance hour, but um, it was mandatory to learn classical Indian dance in India. And I was already enamored with it. So, in, and I had the practice from home. So in no time, I was one of the front people that the teacher always had up front because I was so good at uh, performing during um, teacher parent day. So that gave me the confidence to perform on stage. And it because I look the way I look, which is very similar to any Indian person, nobody ever questioned me if, whenever I wanted to participate in, let's say, the talent show during Independence Day in India. And I would go and sing the Indian Independence Day song and get a trophy for it. <laughs> so that encouragement had already taken place in India and I was already given the confidence, if you will. So by the time I came to the Netherlands, it was so ingrained in me that I had that um, th that confidence to go and do it. And while in the beginning it was more Asian things or Middle Eastern stuff that I was doing, I slowly learned what the audience liked in the Netherlands. And then I started transitioning into doing the things that was perhaps more accepted in that society. So then the the talent shows that I initially participated in in the Netherlands were lip sync talent shows where you choose a song of your choice and you lip sync to it. So the first time I did that was a Beverly Craven song, Promise Me. And oh boy, people loved it because I guess I brought that Asian flavor to it or something. I don't know what it was, but they loved seeing a little Afghan girl doing Beverly Craven's song. <laughs> um, so that encouraged me tremendously. And 
I felt definitely more accepted. But it was when I won the in eighth grade, the biggest talent show in our little village. And all the other kids were just like, huh? Satara, the, the foreigner, the different, the outsider. She just won our biggest talent show of the year. And I took the cup, the trophy, and the next day at school, I brought it because every morning we would sit around a circle and share how the weekend had been for us. And I was just so proud. And I showed my teacher And after that, it was also easier for my teacher to let me participate in whatever else was happening at school. And that's when it really took off. Because now I had transitioned from being using my art to help me integrate or being accepted to using it as being wow, as having the wow factor in the eyes of my peers or fellow uh, kids, students. And they were all in awe. And then the next thing that really helped me was I was really good at studying. So when the final exams came around, before you go to high school in the Netherlands, you have uh, the eighth grade exam that will determine which what kind of school you'll end up in. And again, my numbers were higher than the average. It wasn't the best, but it was higher than the average, even though my Dutch was kind of broken still. So the combination of my art and my skills really got me through the tough times into the, let's say, the more celebratory phase of life in the Netherlands, where I was like, aha, so this is how you get respect. This is how you get recognition. This is how you're not only accepted, but you excel above and beyond. And you get that that um, applaud or you know, just, just a praise of people, not just inside the school, but also their parents and then the community and then the society. And by the time I was in high school, that just skyrocketed to another level because wherever I would go now, I had learned to mix my roots with what people liked and bring a f- uh, the, the, the Asian flavor to the stage, if you will. And that's when my dance career took off in the Netherlands because I participated from the local stuff. And it was all, I was already in a lot of newspapers. People had almost become used to me being in, in the papers, local papers every so many weeks because there was always something I'd done and I would win. And then from that point to the national cha- dance championship, during which I did a classical Indian dance sequence which was new back then. We see a lot of it nowadays and on YouTube. You mix different uh, dance styles from East and West and hip-hop with classical and all kinds of mixes. But back then it was kind of new. And I just had the courage, even though my mom was like, ooh, are you sure you're not going to throw tomatoes at you? (laughs) I was like, no, mom, something inside me tells me that this is the time to do this. And, um, oh, man, I trained my best friend. We did a duet and we went for it. And sure enough, we passed the local stages, stage one, stage two, and we went to the national championship. And there, when they announced the winner, I literally didn't move for a few seconds at first because I was like, oh my God, this cannot be true. This is me doing what I actually wanted to do after learning what people want, want to see me do going back to what I like to do, and now I'm winning this national championship with it. 
it sounds like you've always had kind of a baseline confidence in yourself, which I don't know that you can necessarily teach someone. Although I think uh, that can be influenced by your upbringing. But would you say your parents kind of instilled a confidence in you that you can do anything you want to do or you put your mind to? Or were you just born that way? Are your siblings the same way? Or No, absolutely parents. And I don't know if it's the confidence they instill in you or it's the love that drives it all in the end. I genuinely now believe that as parents, when you give your child the love that is really unconditional, um, which it was for me, both my parents, each in their own way, while they're going through their struggles, and I would witness that and just break my heart to see that uh, my parents going through that. They never didn't love me. They never, their love was never lacking for me or for my brothers, because, you know, I always uh, give credit to my parents because we each feel like we're the favorite one. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. That is so well done. <laughs> I was praised them. I'm like, how did you guys do it? I feel like I'm the favorite and my brothers feel like they are the favorite. So uh, it comes from love. It comes from, uh, yes, your parents' support and, and you know, them being there during each talent show and them being proud of you and them gaining almost like more of validity in society by showing that, you know, we're raising good kids in the society. And... I will never forget my parents coming to some of the talent shows and uh, sitting front row or past talent shows eventually when I was performing on stage and actually making, um, earning a living with it. Um, different cities, different um, theaters, beautiful theaters, um, renowned theaters. And then I would bring my parents there. They would just sit there proudly and watch me and show my articles to friends and family. Um, you know, that the encouragement, the support, the saying that, okay, as long as you finish your homework and studies, you can go dance as many hours as you want. You can participate wherever you want. Just make sure you always have your studies in, uh, in line too. And I always did. So, so yeah, it's, I guess it's, it's that love that naturally also brings the support and confidence instills all that in a child. I, I really like that because that's, I hadn't looked at it that way before, but you're almost saying that love is kind of like a key that unlocks whatever potential someone has inside of them. And if they, if the parent doesn't provide that love, that it's just harder to open up that potential and let it out. So it's like a, a key is kind of how I was visualizing, visualizing that when you were, when you were describing it. Beautifully said, beautifully said, you know, it sounds like a cliche. Oh, love is the all be all and all depending on what, what situation is there. A, a parent's love for a child is the foundation is crucial. It is the key. It really is the key and everything else flows from there because when you see kids of um, unfortunately households that are not um, where, where the parents have either are divorced or are going through some challenges and they don't have that kind of time or attention to give to the children 
even in a society like the US where, you know, there's peace at least and the economy is great and everything's fine. That just messes up everything for that child's life, for the rest of their life. Whereas in a country like Afghanistan, even if it's war-torn and there's so many difficulties, but that, that love of the parent is there, sometimes you see those children excel far above and beyond a child who has a very stable life here whose parents didn't provide that. So in my personal experience, in my reality, in how I've gone through life, my parents' love have been, it, it has been absolutely the it factor uh, in, in my being able to survive, in my being able to thrive eventually, and um, unlocking a child's potential, 100%, thousand percent even. <laughs> That's beautifully said, and it's a, it, it's a great reminder to uh, to anyone, whether they you know they're coaches, uh, teaching kids, um, they're teachers in our schools, um, and definitely parents that they they remember love over uh, over everything, um, over anything else that they could teach that they love the. Uh, you know, have the child's best interest uh, at heart. So that's that's a fantastic reminder. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you because it, it's not just parents who, um, you know, the, the teachers and coaches of any kind, they are kind of part of that. It, it's very beautifully said that. So in the Netherlands before, uh, the thing is that I never thought it would be possible for me to, have a life as an artist and be able to pay all my bills with that. So I always had to have some other kind of a job, if you will. And for that reason, when I graduated, um, I became a teacher. Uh, I used to teach for just a little bit, fourth and eighth graders, but eventually my full-time job became teaching high school, junior and senior students. It, That's it was, awesome. Yeah, it was it was great, and I loved it. I still do. The teacher inside me always lives. I even did um, dance classes as like a side gig um, in the Netherlands, even in the U.S. for a while. But then my uh, own my actor career kind of did not allow me at one point anymore because I couldn't divide my attention too much. But the thing as a teacher that I felt because my teachers were so wonderful because I had received so much from them, whether if it's discipline or disciplined love, because <laughs> if a teacher is really focusing on you and pushing you to, to you know, excel, it, it does come out of love. That's how I experienced it. And I had some wonderful teachers along the way. So I wanted to be that for children. The only thing that I felt lacking though as a teacher was that my reach was still limited and it was through my I felt through my art that I could actually have a broader reach for that message of love for that message of like we're all one for that my message in life so that's when I felt okay now I want to dedicate myself fully to my art and do or be myself through my art versus teaching but the few months that I did teach whew, that was quite something because high school students <laughs> And I had seven different classes, each consisting of about 30 kids. So that was a bit of a challenging experience. While it was fun, the best part was um, 
I don't know what it's called here, but gym hour, during which I would teach sometimes, I would teach dancing, international world dance. And the kids were like, what is this? But they all loved it and they were sweating away. <laughs> it's good times, good times. So you're in the Netherlands and how do you, how do you make that transition over to the U.S.? How does that happen? Well, you watch a whole lot of Hollywood movies <laughs> and you fall for that wonderful phrase of, ooh, going for my dreams, going after my dreams, and da-da-da. No, so on a more serious note, um, my grandparents and we have lots of extended family who have lived here for I don't know how long. They had left Afghanistan way before us and they had settled in Southern California. Orange County. So we would always, during our summer vacations in Holland, we'd come and visit my grandparents. The first time I came and visited was with my mom. And we came and visited my grandparents in Laguna Niguel. And I fell in love with California. As a teenager, as a 17-year-old, I was like, oh my God, this place, the weather, beaches, everything about Orange County, Southern California, just really, really resonated with me. And I guess something inside me said, you know, this is where I will be living one day. And then as I was growing up and after I went back to the Netherlands, I, I think looking back, I sort of made like a life plan that by the time I'm done with my studies and I'm 25-ish, I should be able to have successfully migrated yet again to the US, because this time it was by choice. This time I wanted to live here myself. I just loved everything about it. The thing with Hollywood is it was not necessarily in the back of my mind that, okay, I'm going to the US to become an actress, but it was the, it was honestly the weather and the beauty of, of Southern California that really brought me here first and foremost. And it's only later that as an artist, when you live here, the opportunity to actually be in Hollywood working as a working actor in Hollywood is suddenly tremendous versus if you're living in Europe or elsewhere, which is changing now. But at that point, um, so even my parents, they wanted to move here as well because most of our families were here, my grandparents especially. And then we started the whole process, but fate had it that they ended up not coming and I did and then what made it more um, more of a thing for me to actually really go for it and even leave my parents behind leave Holland behind it's not easy knowing that and knowing what a process integration in a new society is the thing that made it easy for me perhaps or easier was that I found my other half here so my current husband we met during one of my visits and uh, we had a long distance relationship which helped us really uh, lay that foundation and decide to to take one more leap into <laughs> yet another migration but this time by choice again that's why i call it migration to the u.s so he's from this area orange county he's actually born and raised in jacksonville florida but he's Afghan, of Afghan descent. 
we met and you know sometimes it's just when it comes to these things it's faith it's destiny it's all the stars aligning because how we met it was at a party i was invited last minute i don't even know if he was invited but <laughs> we met at a party where we were not really supposed to go to but we ended up going to and then things took off from there um and now many many years later looking back at it it was like everything had to like fall into place as if like a puzzle and then from there once i came here um and then we got married and i worked as a quality analyst for an insurance company for about 3 years uh, but i always practiced my art on the side i still had that mentality of like well you have to have like a actual job you can't survive based on <laughs> uh gigs and as an artist until it started changing and i was before i knew it there was just such a demand for uh my skills here in hollywood in particular my languages that i couldn't like do both and i had to go full time i'm very very grateful that i did and then from there came some on screen work as well and which i never thought i i just thought of hollywood as you know glitz and glamour and all of that but that is not the kind of acting i've been doing it's in fact very intense things quite political the role in homeland in stumptown and um now in the united states of al um you know why why like get to do some fun things in between too but these are these are things that are that i believe are important they have messages that need to be told they're very actual to what is going on in the real world and my desire that i have had always was i would never see Afghans on TV in the movies and shows whether if it was Hollywood or Bollywood and the times that I would see one it would be someone of whatever descent playing an Afghan but not really an Afghan and in particular Afghan women not being shown or if we were shown it was under a burqa almost without an identity without a voice the poor women who are so used abused tortured um So I I did not like that because that's not my experience of what Afghan women are. I grew up with very strong Afghan women around me. My mother is a champion. She championed life. She survived some very difficult times with uh my brothers, you know, went through a complete transition of living a life a certain way to completely living life a different way while raising kids and you know came above and beyond my dad i believe he is feminist at heart he never treated me any different than my brothers so the image of afghan men also that is always depicted on um tv through media it's accurate maybe based on the men that we see now unfortunately taking over but it wasn't accurate based on what i experienced with my brothers and my dad and my grandfather who are not at all like the men um that are always shown as terrorists taliban all those um extremists so i was like it's just what can i do to change that and again my art my sword my weapon <laughs> thank goodness came in handy as i knew that one of the ways that you can speak to 
people's heart is through your art. Because you're not, you don't have a political agenda. You don't have a particular, you just want to show the humanity factor in this all. You just want to show that, well, the women under those burqas are still mothers, daughters, sisters. They're still going to raise the future of, of this world. So I just had an issue with that. So whenever I would get the opportunity to represent Afghan women and give a face Nobody, everybody who looked at me would be like, oh, where are you from? And I would ask them, what do you think? Oh, probably Indian, um, maybe Arab. No, I'm Afghan. Oh, this is what an Afghan woman looks like? Yeah, this is what we look like. <laughs> so that was always important for me. And um, and yeah, Hollywood gave me that opportunity to do that. And I, I'm very grateful that I get to do that, that I get to voice the voice of Afghan women or Afghans and represent. We recently had um, a friend of yours, Fahim Fazli on here. Yes. And he said something interesting. Um, he's, he's typecast typically as an Afghan terrorist. And he said that he actually doesn't mind that because at the end of the day, he's not a terrorist. He's, he's a great guy. And he, he wants to be able to show people that this media depiction that everyone from that part of the world is a terrorist or something. He doesn't want, he wants to break that stigma. And so he doesn't mind playing those roles because in his personal life, um, you know, when people actually get to know him, they're like, Oh, you are nothing like that at all. <laughs> and he's not like, he's, he's such a good guy. And so I feel like that's not that you're being, uh, you know, typecast necessarily, but I feel like that's, a good goal that you have to show what Afghan women are really like, like it's not because it, it is kind of shrouded in mystery a little bit, just because it's, it's so far away from this part of the world. Uh, there's so much turmoil over there. We don't really get to see a different side of things in the U S. Yeah, very true. In, in fact, Fahim Fazli, he is the opposite of what a terrorist would be. He's literally the opposite. Phenomenal, fantastic guy, full of life, always happy. Yep. <laughs> so, which which shows that he's a wonderful actor because he's very believable as a terrorist. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there is the stereotyping or typecasting. As an Afghan woman, though, because of what is happening in the world right now, I am proud to, and I feel privileged that I can be that face occasionally. Um, I want to represent all my sisters all around the world, but if the opportunity for me right now is to represent Afghan women who perhaps needed more than any other race, I am more than happy to. And the other thing I want to emphasize is that it's funny how, um, like, if my neighbors now get to know me and they're like, oh, where are you originally from? And I talk to them and I tell them Afghanistan. Oh, it's almost like an, a form of education to educate um, our immediate surrounding that we are also part of this society now. And we bring whatever we've learned in our journey now here and hope that we can help society here learn from what we have gone through and help it become better because whether we're born in Afghanistan or whatever ethnicity is or isn't 
I am currently a, a law-abiding American citizen who will raise children in this country and participate, therefore, in what society is going to look like in the future here. Um, you know, so so that's also very important that people get to see, okay, um, you know, through Hollywood, this is an Afghan woman and not all Afghan women are the way they have been portrayed so far. They're Afghan women who are very strong-willed. Um, they're very confident. They're powerful. They're very independent women who who share the responsibility of what society will look like tomorrow, wherever they are today. Well, I really appreciate the education. Um, I, I feel like for the last 15 minutes, I've just been on the edge of my seat here, just uh, just learning. Uh, Russ and I have both traveled. Um, I've lived about three years outside the U.S., but just hearing your story and everything that you've done, I mean, your your strength of character and, and experience just speaks volumes but I love hearing your your mission to to, to educate and to teach um, and to raise awareness of, of the strength of Afghan women that's uh, thank you so much for, for for sharing that my pleasure it, it's uh, you know I, I'm grateful whenever I get the opportunity to do that uh, it's something I'm passionate about but I also feel it's my responsibility. Um, if nothing, then for all those who have helped me get to this point, you know, I owe it to them. I owe it to their kindness to kind of also pass it on in the best way I can, whether it's through education, through my art, to, through being a teacher, a coach, whichever way I can, or even a TikToker in today's day and age. <laughs> um, so it, it's a pleasure. Thank you guys for giving me the platform and opportunity to, um, share my experience and raise awareness. No, thank you very much for coming on. This was like Max said, it's really educational and it's, it's just refreshing to hear, you know, someone that's, that's so humble, that's had so much success, but so humble and has, has, has had such an incredible journey. Like I didn't know most of those details about you. I, I knew a little bit about you, but I had no idea that you'd gone through so much. And that's, that's just incredible that you've been able to come out on the other side and in such a good place. Thank you. Thank you so much. I certainly appreciate it. Well, um, and just one thing before, uh, before we finish here, um, as I've been writing and taking notes here, one of the things that I keep taking down is just this overwhelming sense of gratitude that you have, um, you know, regardless of of the stage, whether it was Thailand, Nepal, Netherlands, um, coming to the U.S., and and especially speaking of your roots, what what do you see that's brought that 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 gratitude? Um, and sorry if I'm using the wrong word here, but that um, r- respect for your for your history and your background. I would like to first thank you for that question because that gives me a quick little opportunity to say that my being anchored in my knowledge of who I am on a spiritual level has been the 
mountain, if you will, of support that has allowed me to get through the challenges and obstacles and not only get through it, but understand that life is full of lessons. No one can avoid it. And we all have to go through our ups and downs. But that thing that keeps me grounded and grateful and that helps me see the big picture, especially in the tough times, is going back to my core belief of what am I actually on a soul level? What is my understanding of the creator the universe, God, doesn't matter what you call the your creator, Allah, Buddha, um, Krishna, but it comes down to my spiritual core. That is the one thing that really, in the end, is at the base of it all. If I go beyond my parents, if I go beyond all the love of all my loved ones and everything else, It's my relationship with my creator. It's the most intimate relationship a human being can have. And it's strengthening that and going inside first to be able to do what I have been able to do on the outside. It's inside out, not outside in. I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mac, but I think pretty much everyone we've had on this podcast so far has had a similar message. Like there's, wow. there's a, there's a spiritual foundation, humility. I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. There's like a humility, a, a, some form of spirituality that I feel like is kind of eroding in the world these days, unfortunately. And that's probably causing, I don't know, maybe a lot of the problems that we're having is people are losing sight of who they are and, and what their foundation is. That makes me so happy to hear that, um, that you had all uh, your guests talk about it. Because while on the one hand, yes, it is eroding in the sense, in my experience, in the sense that the traditional or maybe the traditional way of or approach to religion is changing. But On the other hand, the contrast of that is that there is a tremendous, I believe, spiritual awakening um, happening, taking place right now on a mass level, on a micro individual level that affects each person differently. And I have respect and love for all religions in the world, but um, I practice uh, spirituality more than uh, one particular religion. Because I grew up around all the different religions and I grew up loving, understanding and appreciating each one of them. And I grew up taking lessons from all of them. I've been to churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, everywhere. But, you know, it's the one thing that perhaps is happening more now than ever before. And it will continue. I believe that it will expand further. Is that first and foremost, we need to get in touch with our own inner selves our soul, light, with the heart of the heart, the core, whatever you want to call it. And meditation is becoming more of a thing. Raising awareness, spirituality, all of that is more evident. It is there because we have more access to it easier. There are tons of YouTube videos for any kind of meditation you want. There are all kinds of what I call masters slash gurus teaching us how to get in touch from Abram Hicks to Sadhguru to, oh my God, there's so many. Uh, 
Dolores Cannon, there's uh, Marion Williamson, there's uh, some of the books that I've read um, of these masters that each in their own way are doing their part. And then whatever resonates with you, you can choose. You get to choose now. There is no, you have to do it this way. This is the only way you get to pray. This is the only way you get to meditate. If you sit in this lotus position, crossing your hand a certain way, da, 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 da. No, it's a new world where we get to choose our experience of how we're going to establish a relationship within, with, let's say, the God within. So, but we live in a world of relativity there where there is, there can only be light if there's darkness. There's only one if the other is present. So it's that balance. But whoever, you know, wants to invest in their um, self, you have that opportunity in more ways than one nowadays. It's so many fun ways through all these different platforms that we didn't have before. So while it's eroding on the one hand, I do believe there is a big massive shift happening on the other hand of maybe not doing things the traditional way, but in a new way, you know, still getting closer to the one. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right that, that there is this balance where, you know, the, the more darkness there is, the more light there will be also on the other side. Well, Beautiful. we really, really appreciate you coming on here and taking the time to to share your story and your insights and your spirit with us. My pleasure. And I think thank you guys. Yeah, and I think uh, just to add to that, Russ, uh, I, I think you'll be such an inspiration to so many people because of the way that you've overcome and and especially inspiring people to be better parents, realize that they're raising the next generation and and just what you shared about teachers. So thank you so much for uh, for teaching us everything that you did through this. Uh, any last thoughts? Um, thank you first both um, for having me here. It's been a pleasure. I love uh, being able to share whatever I have to share with the world through uh, platforms like yours. And... Um, I guess as a last note in the end, it, you know, when we leave our planet, um, the only thing we actually really leave behind is the legacy of how kind have you been when people talk about you at your funeral. It's, um, you know, was she a good person? Was she there for others? Uh, was she, you know, has she left something behind that we can get inspired by or follow to help ourselves? And if you've reached that, then, you know, you did a good job. Well, thank you for that. That's a great message. Yep. Thanks My so pleasure. much. My pleasure. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to this episode of Passion to Poison. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also tell your friends to subscribe as well.